This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the program Warning. Today's message, Dr. Hansen's associate pastor, Ty Gullstrom, shared the message titled, The Point of Transition. This message was shared December 31st, 2005. Now, let's begin. Well, as uh, all of you, and as we turn towards the new year, uh, we thank God for 2005, amen? And one thing, though, as I reflect over 2005, is I've recognized that on the outward, uh, 2005 hasn't, for my personal life, there's been some hard times. But the beauty about living and serving Jesus Christ is, as we look back, we look at those difficult times as almost memorials, those times where God did something miraculous in our lives, amen? And it's just like the Israelites, as they were traveling and going from one place to another, and God would make provision and do something wonderful in the midst of a crisis. See, God does miracles in the midst of crises, and he said, why don't you build a monument here? Why don't you put some stones there so you can remember and tell about what happened here in the midst of crisis? And I believe that he does that in our personal lives, doesn't he? In the midst of crisis and trials and tribulations, God does some marvelous things. We look back in our lives and we say, God did a marvelous thing there. And it's never easy going through those trials and those tribulations that are hard. I call them horribly terrific. And living a life with Christ is horribly terrific, isn't it? And I don't know, that's just the best thing that I can come up with. It's horribly terrific. It's horrible in the fact that as he exposes you and you see yourself, it's horrible. But then he doesn't leave you in that position, does he? He presents himself. And that's the beauty about Jesus Christ is whenever he exposes you, whenever he shows who you really are, he always shows who he really is at the same time. And that's the beauty of serving Jesus Christ. It is truly an exchanged life. And so 2005 has been a great year. It's been a year we've learned a lot about ourselves. And really, as we've come into this last month in December of this month, God has done some tremendous things, not just for my personal life, but for the ministry and the church. And he's doing wonderful things in our lives. And I thank God for it. And it has been horribly terrific. And I thank God for it. Because you know what? When you have a, a droplet of the agape of God, the love of God, even in the midst of that turmoil, it's all worth it. That's the only thing that would keep you going on to address things that are very difficult to address is the love of God. And so thank God for 2005, amen? And we're looking forward to 2006. This sermon's called The Point of Transition. 
The point of transition. Well, the Lord obviously does not want me to preach on the point of transition today because I can't find my notes. And guys, this is, a, this is such an interesting time. I've been a Christian now for, well, how long have I been a Christian? I think about 10 years. And um, this is probably the, in the last two or three months, probably the most horribly terrific time of my life. It's a time where um, God came and he's basically said, if you want to go further in me, there's some issues we've got to address. And I remember preaching a sermon to you guys. It must have been, I don't know, it seems like two years ago, where we talked about my heart, Christ's home. And there's parts of my heart that I allowed the Lord to have his way. Parts of, you know, the, the entryway the, and the kitchen, and those kind of places, those are all put into order and no problem. But there's some areas and some other areas of my heart and my life, the basement, the cellars, the closets, whatever you want to call them, that, that were kind of off limits. And I kind of kept the Lord off limits from that too. And you know you can do that. You can keep the Lord off limits in your life because he is not rude. He will not trounce upon your will. He will always let you know that he's there. And if you say yes, he'll come in and he'll do a cleansing work. And this last couple of months of my life has been a time where he has gone into my house and he's kept asking me, Ty, what's that smell? What's that smell? What's that green vapor coming out from under that door back there? You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. Maybe you guys, none of you have those closets in your life, but I recognize that I have more than a closet. You know, in my house, we have a cellar. You know, I don't have just a closet of dysfunction. I got a cellar of dysfunction. Amen? And the Lord's saying, can I come in and can I cleanse it? And it's really like what Jack Frost said. It's where as soon as he says that to you, you're instantly at a point of the inlet of transition. And the only thing that says yes or no is your will. It's you to say yes or no to that invitation from the Lord. And I tell you what, as soon as you get up to it, it is horribly terrific because you can see the love of God. You can see the peace of God. You can see the harbor. I mean, I met that story that Jack Frost shared. It was so stirring to me. And it must have been, I couldn't imagine the emotions of being right at that bar and be able to see that only a quarter mile away was this nice, calm harbor, this place of peace and tranquility and rest. And he was in this place of storm and he was so close to it. But what kept him from that was that inlet of transition. The things in our heart that are hard, that are scary. Those things that the devil has lied to us over and he's caused us deceptions and fears that says you don't want to go that way. You can't make it that way. And that's the point of transition that I'm at in my life. And I think that many people here are in the inlet of transition in their lives. And that's why I'm looking forward to 2006 because I believe that with the love of God, not only just in our personal lives, but our love that's really expressed to one another. I think we need one another. The body of Christ needs each other. I need you to help me across that inlet. I need it. I can't do it myself. I need your encouragement. I need your rebuke at the appropriate time. I need you to help me to get over the inlet. And I believe that when we all just finally come to that realization that I can't do it myself and I wasn't created to do it myself. I wasn't created to go into the depths of Jesus Christ by myself. Jesus created the body of Christ, you and me. And we are supposed to propel each other towards that end. Amen? And I need your help. And all of us need each other's help. Amen? Because why? Because our sin, our dysfunction is very deceptive, isn't it? And we need each other to be lights for us to expose in a loving way for us. I need that from you, and we need it in each other to be able to love each other enough 
to in a right way, in a loving way, to come and to share the light that you have. All of us have light that some of us don't have. There's light that Tricia has that I don't have. But you know what? If, if we truly function the body of Christ, her light's going to shed upon my darkness, and hopefully there's some light in me that can shed upon hers. And together, it can be awesome. And I believe and I hope that that is the cry of our hearts for 2006 as we're at that point of transition, not just in a year, flipping over to a new year, but I believe that what the Lord is doing in our lives right now is that we're at a point of transition to really allowing the Lord to come in and to see and to appreciate where we're at woundedness-wise and say, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to set you free. That's the point of transition I believe we're at. I want to start out by talking about New Year's and that point. Because whenever at the clinic every year, as I've been uh, in medicine for several years now, is this time of year I have a lot of people coming to me and they talk about this thing called what? New Year's? Oh, yeah, New Year's resolutions, right? I mean, the last two weeks I've had so many people come to me. And it's funny because most of them come, they don't say, "Uh, I'm making a New Year's resolution. You know what they say? Because they've failed so many times, they say, it's not a New Year's resolution, but I want to do this. Because they don't want to use the terminology New Year's resolution because they've done it a hundred times before and it never works. Right? So they, they don't want to be associated with this function. So they say, it's not a New Year's resolution. But on January 1st, 2006, I want to do this. And so what they are communicating to me is they've looked at their life and they're saying, there's some things about my life that I am not satisfied with. Can you do that for your life? Can you look at your life and say, there's some things about me? Now, whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, is there some things you say, I'm just not satisfied with this. Now, in medicine, the majority of people that come to me with these types of things, it's these external things that they're not satisfied with. Whether that's their weights, whether that's their smoking habit, or whatever, it's usually an external type thing. And they say that I want to stop smoking. And I, want, and I know it's not, it's not a New Year's resolution there, but I, I, on January 1st, I want to stop smoking. This is what I've been hearing the last few weeks. So people are at a point of transition because there is something symbolic, there's something special about turning over a new year, whether we want it or not, right? Now in God's calendar, I, I, always, I always grapple with this. In God's calendar, does he care much about January 1st? You know what I'm saying? It's not even his calendar, Right? This is the Gregorian calendar. It's not, it has nothing to do with God's calendar. But for man, we, we are confined. We need time, don't we? We need that kind of thing. We need the calendar. We need things. We need the plan. And so we are very much, we, have, we put importance to the calendar, right? So the calendar is very important for us. And so when we go through a new year, there's something symbolic about it. There's something that tells us fresh start. I think it happens also around the 1st of September when children go back to school. You know, it's, for them, it's, that's a more meaningful new year to them. Then maybe January 1st for a child. And so there's something symbolic, something special about it. There's, some, there's a transition point. You're in fourth grade now, now you're in fifth grade. There's a point, there's an emphasis, there's an importance that they put in it. And I believe as adults, we put that emphasis on January 1st. And though we, though we want to or not, there's a time I think that most of us are evaluating our lives. I, I, I just see it all over. I see myself doing it. I see all my patients doing it. There's something about January 1st that people start looking at the fruit of their lives and start saying, yes, no, I don't like this. I'd like to prune this. And they come to me and talk to me about these things. And so we're at a point of transition in our lives. And so we talk about New Year's resolutions. And I started thinking about why do New Year's resolutions never work? 
They never work because, let me answer it for you, they never work because usually what happens is it's an assessment of fruits on our trees, of our life's a tree. It's, it's looking at a fruit and it's saying, ah, that fruit is ugly. That fruit is nasty. I want to get rid of that fruit and I want to do it on January 1st. And the thing that happens is they never see what produced that fruit. They never come down to the core thing in their life that produced that fruit. See, someone that has an addiction, whether it be smoking or alcohol or pornography, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's all rooted in dysfunction, woundedness, and hurts and pains. And so they're smoking, they're drinking, they're getting on the internet and doing things they should not do. Why? It's not, it's, there's not, it's not just out of happenstance. You don't just happen to get into an addiction. You don't just walk yourself into an addiction. There is something going on where that addiction does something to at least on a temporary basis to soothe that hurt and that pain. There's some control that you can have. You might feel out of control, but you know what? If you can go, you can go to food whenever you want and you can put it in your mouth and that can be a source of control and satisfaction even for a second. Now we know that always comes with condemnation, huh? But for that second, for that moment, you have control and you can satisfy yourself. And so I had a lady come in, and she was talking about how, and it was a beautiful time. I mean, I, I thank God for the, the opportunity. She came in, and she had some blood tests recently, and it showed that even though she's on a, on a cholesterol medicine, her cholesterol is still shooting up, and, she, and she was, her, her sugar was getting out of control. And she came in, and I just felt, le- I just knew that the Lord had ordained this. I don't, I've only seen her a couple times, never talked about anything in depth. But I just felt I was supposed to see her. And I walked in, and within like 10 or 15 seconds, she just started crying. And I said, Lord, now I know why, why I was supposed to go in here. Because this wasn't about cholesterol. We never talked about cholesterol. We never talked about her sugar, which is out of control. Why? What's the point of talking about the sugar and the cholesterol? What's the point? You know? Yeah, I could increase her medicine and put her on two or three more, and I could get the numbers to come down. But is that what she's really after? Is that what she really needs? No. In her life, there was something going on. There was catastrophe. There was crisis in her life. And the numbers that came on my lab sheet that says, wait a second, there's a nurse practitioner that just started working with us. And she came to me and she said, what would you do here, Ty? It says that she's on this cholesterol medicine, but it's going up. I said, something's wrong. I said, something's wrong. You need to call her back in and talk to her because something's going wrong here. If she's taking that medicine consistently, something's going on. Something's up. And that's the patient I ended up seeing. She ended up referring her to me. I said, go talk to Ty. And within 10 seconds, she just cried. And it's just, we had this wonderful, beautiful conversation for 45 minutes about the love of God and that God wants to heal and set you free. And I said, you know, it was empowering. And, and it reminds me of, of Rick. Rick always cringes when I use his name in a sermon. <laughs> but this is, a, this is a good sign, Rick. Rick is a, a, it's something he taught me, yeah, that's right. He, he, Rick was discipling me. The anointing of God was on him. The power of the Holy Spirit was flowing out of him. And like several weeks ago, you know, I was, ta- I was telling him about a stronghold in my life and an area of my life that I really struggle with. And, he's, and, he, and he, he basically just represented to me the character of God, and I appreciate that, Rick. I don't care about your behavior as the primary importance. I care about your heart as the primary importance. If you go out and do this, this, and this over and over again today, I, I'm not going to love you any less or any more. And I took that, and the Lord just gave that, that trinket to me. I, I, as soon as I was talking to her, that, that whole memory of what we just went through several weeks ago was jumping out of me. And I said, you know what? If you went home today, and I, I said, and you went, and you, go ahead, go ahead. And you go ahead and binge nut chocolate today. 
See, what I was doing, and I, what I, the Lord was doing in her life is, is she felt this huge condemnation in her life. She couldn't control it. She has all these hurts and all these pains, and she's reaching for food and reaching for anything that, that may bring some temporary satisfaction. And she had all this tension because she knew she shouldn't do it. And isn't it interesting, as we just processed and the Lord just started revealing, we started going back to where, where do you think we went? We started going back. Childhood. She had a mom that was very nice. Very, but you know what her mom did? Her mom was very interested in her looks. Mom was very interested in how she appeared. A loving mom. She has over, uh, pretty good thoughts of her mom. She doesn't have a neck, but her mom really cared about how she looked. And she would comment about how she looked. And if she felt like she was gaining a few pounds, she would comment on that. And as we started talking about that, obviously this, we, what we did is we took this fruit the, the, the very external was numbers on a piece of paper. It was cholesterol going up and sugar going up. That was the very edge of the tree. That was the leaf at the very top, the very end. And as we started talking just in 45 minutes, who is this coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down to the root, right? And isn't it true in our lives that we can constantly go after the external? We can constantly look at each other and do that behavioral modification type thing. But the love of God wants to go to the cellar and he wants to go to the closet and he says, can I come and heal you? And the picture that the Lord gave me is he, I was looking at this lady and I was talking to her. She has, she has beautiful qualities, just wonderful things about her. But there's this area in her tree that this area, this part, this quadrant of her tree was dysfunctional out here. And if you come down, it's, it's, down, at the, it's down right where that branch goes into the trunk. And if we just touch that with the love of God, just touch that transition point, that wounded place, and dispel the lie of the enemy. Because like we have been learning, right at that point, that point of hurt and pain from mom and the reinforcements of that throughout her adult life, there's a lie that was sown in because the devil doesn't play fair. He waits for someone to reject you. See, that was rejection that she received. She needed to know from mom that I love you as much, whether you're 150 pounds overweight or whether you're underweight or perfect weight, it doesn't matter to me. I love you just the same. That's the message she needed to hear. And that's not the message she heard. What the message that she heard was, my love and my acceptance to you is totally dependent about how I look. Right? So the devil doesn't play fair. The devil waits for an opportunity, and he sows in a lie, deception. And so she lived her whole adult life fighting with the struggle in her life that she had to look the right way to be accepted and to be loved. And so now she's constantly in this battle of, of wanting to rebel because when you lift up the law, the law what? So is what? Death. So she had this law lifted up of do this and don't do this and this is how you're... And so she, what do we do against the law? We rebel against the law. And so though she knows she, everything she needs to do is I need to look thin, I need to look this certain way. What she did is she rebelled against that law. She couldn't control herself, and so she'd just eat and eat and eat because she just, she was rebelling even though her mom was dead. But in her mind, mom's not dead. That thought and that woundedness is not dead. Mom's long gone, but the woundedness in that area of her life was very real. And now as a late 50s lady, here she is, and she's producing this fruit that happened maybe 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And the love of God just brought her down and brought her down, and brought her down. And she cooperated. She let the Lord come and expose the cellar. And one of our beautiful scriptures that we've been talking about, that he came to what? Bind up the brokenhearted and to set you free from your captivity. And when I told her that 
the love of God is so great. And she was she left the Catholic Church a number of years ago, and and she she just admitted she says I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know I don't know what I feel about God. And 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 as the love of God is expressed, see I didn't have to get into a debate about her about the existence of God. All I had to do is show her the love of God. The love of God. I don't need to get into a debate. I don't need to talk about, what do you mean? Just look at the, the creatures and see and look at this. And that would be totally distracting. And I get into this intellectual conversation. No, God wanted to go right to her heart. God wanted to show his love. Because when you just get a droplet of the agape of God, you sell everything else and you go after it. And I remember talking to her. I finally came. I was like, about 45 minutes, and I felt like we were coming to the conclusion. And I said, there's a lot of things you could do right now. I can, I can put you on an antidepressant, and that might make you feel better for a while. And I'm not against that. And I, or you can go to a, I have, there's a, there's a counseling place down there. There's a Christian, but they do secular counseling. You could do that. If you want to really go to the root, and you're just at the place where you want to allow God to show who he is in your life, because I believe that God is doing something in our midst, and the same thing that he's doing for her. He wants to restore his character to you and me. There's been lies of the enemy that have been sowed into our lives. The devil doesn't play fair. And God has set out, and he is determined to restore his character to you and me, who he really is. And I told that to her. I said, you don't have to worry about, you just be open to truth, and God will make himself known to you. You're not responsible for the revelation of God. You're responsible just to surrender and say, I'm, I'm open to truth. And that's all you have to do. And he will reveal himself to you. I, don't, I told her, I don't have to convince you of the reality of God. I don't have to. If you just promise to be a lover of truth, God will make himself known to you. When she's sitting there just bawling and crying as the love of God is being expressed to her, I mean, I couldn't have got into a better debate. I could have went through all the existences of God and the fundamentals of, of creation. I could, but, the, but nothing can replace the love of God touching a heart that's wounded. Nothing. And God touched her, and she said, I want to go to the root. I want to go to the root. I want God to heal me. I want, I want, to, I want God to show who he is to me. Isn't that wonderful in our lives? That's what he's doing exactly in my life right now is he's restoring because whenever you're rejected, whether it's by a death of a parent, whether it's by physical abuse or emotional abuse or whether it's a parent, a divorce, whatever it is, the rejection is imperfect love. We have all have imperfect love. The devil doesn't play fair. Even stuff that's totally out of your control as a child, the devil doesn't play fair. Even if your your mom or your dad was killed in a car crash when you were a young person, the devil doesn't play fair. He will use anything he can to distort character of the father in your life. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't play fair. And so the, the, the Lord has got an agenda in our life. He's got an agenda in this church, and his agenda is to restore his character to you and me. That's what he's doing. Because whenever he reveals your heart, he reveals his character. There's always the exchanged life. So we talk about New Year's resolutions, and we talk about the fact that they typically do not work. Why? Because we focus in on the external, the manifestation of the dysfunction, and we don't focus in on the inward. I use the, the medicine example of someone coming in and says, I have severe abdominal pain. And for me, just to give them loads of narcotics and say, now go home. Is your pain better? Oh, yeah, what? Yeah. So uh, just snow them over. They're just gorked over with narcotics. They can hardly even speak. Is your abdominal pain better? Just say, yes, yes, okay. Go, 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 go home. 
That abdominal pain and whatever's causing that root problem is not going to be fixed by my narcotic. They're suffering temporarily, yes, but you know what? It could just get them home so they can die. And the Lord is not about that kind of work. He's not going to go and just, he allows those dysfunction, those hurts and those pains. Why? Because he wants those things to be out there to draw us to the root of the problem and the basis in the rock of Jesus Christ. Depression happens in a person's life for a reason. We think of it usually overtly as negative. And many times it's very negative. It's very hard. But Jesus is, it will allow a person to be hurt or depressed or anxious in the hopes of bringing that person back to Christ himself. Amen? And so when a person comes to the clinic, I look at them differently now than I would maybe 10 years ago or five years ago even. I always try to gauge, Lord, what is the root here? And try to gauge, are they willing to go down further than the fruit of their life? And the Lord, I think that what I'm so encouraged by is when I just engage and watch different people's lives in this ministry, the majority of them I'm seeing are saying, I'm terribly, horribly terrified, but I'm willing to do it because I've gotten a drop of the agape. And I'm willing to sell everything else and go buy that field because that's where the treasure is at. And I'm seeing that majority of the people are doing that. They're saying, uh, it's going to cause me a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of exposure. It's going to be hard to rip open that abscess and start cleaning things out. Ron, you know, Ron's been going through that. Ron, he's had this, you know, this, this problem that you guys mostly know about, and it's been a hard process for him. It's been painful, but you got to open it up and express it out, and it hurts. Ah, it hurts, but that's the only place that healing comes. But when God places this a drop of his character, you're willing to go through it because it's the only thing that's worth anything. When you come to the end of yourself, that's when you start at the beginning of God. And Jesus Christ is showing us that in and by ourselves, we are totally 100% powerless to do anything. We cannot do nothing. All we see is our dysfunction, and we can't do nothing in ourselves. Do you know how the Bible describes you in Revelation chapter 3? He says this to the church of Laodicea, but basically, as you know, that's analogous for the church and for you and me today. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And when the Lord shows you, when he shows me that that's who I am, when he says, Ty, you are wretched. I don't feel good when he says that. When he tells me that I'm pitiful, poor, blind, and naked in myself, that hurts. But the bottom line is in and by myself, I am totally powerless to change anything. I cannot clean the closet of my heart by myself. I am totally powerless. I am naked, poor, and wretched by myself. You see, before you get to the beginning of God, you must come to the end of yourself. And you can never come to the end of yourself if you're deceived about who you are. If you want to keep on the clothes of deception and say, I am rich, like the church of Laodicea, he'll let you say that as long as you want. Because in our sin and in our woundedness and in our pride, we are deceived to think that we are something that we are not. But when you want to come to the end of yourself to obtain the beginning of Christ, he will show you exactly who you are. Because you cannot make a right decision based on deception. 
But when he sees that your heart is wanting to ascend the mountain of God, when he sees that you're ready for that, he will break the deception in your life, show you who you are. But you know what the good news is? In the midst of showing you who you are, poor, naked, blind, and pitiful, he shows who he is. And he asks you, do you want to take the exchanged life? Amen? He brings you to the end of himself, of yourself, so you can come to the beginning of God. And he goes on to say, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. See, Jesus is saying to us, will you make the exchange today? Do you realize that the greatest resource in the world is the point of the devil's greatest deception? Because when you, see the, when you see who you are, when you see the fruit of your life, when you see that you are destined in yourself or dysfunction and failure, when you see the closet, when you embrace the fact of your woundedness and your, your ugliness, Jesus lets you know that everything that you need is already within you. Isn't that awesome? But do you recognize that whatever the greatest points of glory, I mean, it says in the Bible, the hope of glory is that Christ is in you. That is the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest asset you could ever have. The hope of glory is that Christ is in you and me. But do you realize also that the devil was going to try to convince you that that's not a reality? Because that's the thing that sets you free. That's the thing that can bind up your broken heart, release your captivity. That's the thing that, can, that mends that branch so that the dysfunction of your life, the addictions of your life can be healed and set free. The hope of glory, Christ in you and me. The devil is set out to try to convince you that there is no power of Jesus Christ within you. The reality of Christ cannot help you. How can it be that a Christian, born again, the Spirit of God, the character of God is within them? You can watch them over a season of time and there's no real change. How can that be apart from deception and the lies of the enemy? We learned about it through Jack Frost's class. That out of woundedness, there's in that cycle, there's darkness. And in that darkness, there's openness to the demonic and strongholds of the mind. And that doesn't just drop off the day you say, Lord, I receive you. Now you have everything within you. The, the hope of glory, Christ in you, is in you now. And the potential to break those strongholds of our mind and to break those demonic oppressions in our life, that's the beginning point. And Jesus right now is saying to us as a church, will you let me break the strongholds of your mind to break the deceptions and the pride? Will you let me break everything you do to self-protect? Will you lay it all on the line for me? Amen? We talk a lot about power, and I'll kind of close with this thought about power. Every resource that you need for victorious living is within you. You know, in charismatic circles and Pentecostal circles, we, we talk a lot about power, don't we? The power of the Holy Ghost. You know, oh, don't we? Power, power. Power, power, power. And I was thinking about this thing about power. And what is power? Is, is power in itself a moral attribute? Power? If we were to describe Jesus Christ, the character of Jesus Christ, 
was one of the descriptive terminology that we would use. Would it be power? Is power in itself a moral quality? Now, we emphasize it a lot. And we know that Jesus Christ is what? All-powerful. But when we talk about who God really is, how does he describe himself? Well, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, he describes himself, doesn't he? Under the terminology of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in that, he's going to talk about what? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience, self-control. He talks about those types of things when he describes his character. And I'm like, Lord, why isn't there and power? Because we certainly spend a lot of time talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people a little bit more than others. But in the last 50 years, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, there's a lot of talk about the power. The power of the Holy Spirit. How much time do we talk about the love of the Holy Spirit? The joy of the Holy Spirit? The kindness of the Holy Spirit? I think we emphasize power. And I started saying, Lord, why didn't, why didn't you put power in Galatians 5.22? The power. And as I started meditating on it, he kind of showed me that, yeah, I'm all powerful, but you know how I demonstrate my power? I demonstrate my power in my love, in my joy, in my peace, in my patience, in my kindness, in my self-control. There is the manifestation of my power. Power is not independently a moral attribute of God, but he demonstrates the power through his character. And so you meet the power of God when you meet the love of God. Because do you realize the power in his love? Do you realize it's the only thing that can heal your dysfunction, can heal the cellar in the closets of your life? It's the only thing. That is power. So we can use the term power, and I don't mind saying that Jesus is powerful, but I'm saying he demonstrates his power to you in this. He loves you. He is kind, he is gentle, he is patient. He's joyful. You cannot conjure up the love of God in your life. You cannot conjure up righteous joy and righteous patience and self-control. If That's what people try to do. That's the New Year's resolution. I want this. I have this. Can I just exchange the fruit? And God says, no, you need a life exchange, amen? Instead of making a New Year's resolution, how about we make a new life resolution? That life would have a capital L in it. It's not your life, his life, the exchanged life. That is what we need. Don't make a New Year's resolution. Make a new life resolution. Come to the end of yourself so you can come to the beginning of God in your life. That is the only hope. Let the power of God be demonstrated in your life by receiving his divine love. It will be horribly terrific. I guarantee it. It'll be horribly terrific. But it's the only thing worth anything. I remember after the first night of Jack Frost's class, and I mean, he, was, he was right in my business. He, he was right in my grill. He was reading my mail. How many cliches can I say? He was right there, and I was emotionally stirred. And I remember turning aside and I said, this is horribly terrific. And basically what I did is I said, yee he, I'm running to the cross. And that's what it is in our life. It's a joyous running to death. How many times have I said it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer's famous words. Christ bids for a man to come and to die. It's horribly terrific. It's the only thing that's worth anything. But receive the power by receiving the character of God in your life. Let him be Yahweh. 
Let him be I am that I am at the pinnacle of your need. Whatever the pinnacle of your woundedness and your pain and your dysfunction, whatever the fruit that you don't like of your tree, the only way that you can be healed and set free is to come into the exchanged life, a new life resolution. Let 2006 be for you a new capital L life resolution that you are going to decrease, that he may increase in your life. Don't worry principally and focus principally on the fruit. We talk about turning over a new what? Leaf. Where's the leaf? The leaves on the external of the tree. You can turn that leaf every which way you want. It's still a dysfunctional ugly leaf. Amen? Let's don't turn over a new leaf. Let's turn over our lives to Christ. Have a new life resolution in our lives. Let's get our focus off the fruit, not the leaves of our lives, and get our focus in on Jesus Christ, the love of God. Let him come however he wants to come into your life. Whatever that means, whatever that means for your personal life, would you let him do it? That's the desire of his heart. It says in Revelation chapter 3, right after he just said, you're naked, you're blind, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're exposed. He, he revealed who they were. But he did not leave them with that. He says, I implore you to buy from me. What? Gold. What is he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about myself. Jesus says, would you buy from me? Come and take from me. Yes, I've exposed your sin and your nakedness. Now I'm exposing who I am. And then the invitation was given in verse number 20. says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, the implication there, I think, is if anyone wants to hear my voice. If you want to hear my voice. And if you open the door, do you see the personal responsibility built in here? He's not going to usurp your will. He's not going to trounce on your will. He will woo you. He will woo you. You will smell his fragrance from time to time. He will show a little bit of himself. He will woo you. He'll come after you, but he will not trounce on your will. He'll knock at the door of your heart and say, would you hear me? And would you open the door? And if you do that, he says, I will come. I will come in and I will eat with you. Amen? Is he talking about literal eating here? No. Say no. No. He's not talking about literal eating here. He's talking about what? He's talking about intimacy. I don't sit down and eat with my enemies, do you? Not typically. I invite those people to my dinner table, typically the ones that I trust and have intimacy with. And he's saying to you, if you will open that door, I will come in and have relationship and intimacy with you. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Power. There's a story I recently read about a, a widow that was very wealthy, and it was like the turn of the century, and she lived in this very, very small community. And it was right at the turn of the century, the electricity was being propagated and whatnot, and, and everyone thought that she was just this little miser, rich but a miser. And so everyone was surprised when one day she paid, had their electricity brought to her house. Nobody else in the whole community had it because they couldn't afford it. So she had the electricity put into her house. And a month later, the electrical meter guy came and knocked on her door and said, is everything working all right with the electricity? She goes, yeah, it's working just fine. 
She goes, well, I've noticed that you've only used a, a smittens of the energy. Goes, What's going on here? She goes, well, you know, when it gets dark each day, as soon as it gets dark, I turn on the lights, just enough time to light the candles, and I turn the lights back off again. <laughs> and so this frugal lady, what she did is she got, she got connected with the what? The power. She had all the power she needed. But you see how she used the power? And I believe that's kind of analogous of our own Christian lives is that we have, if you want to use the the power, the character of God is in you. Say amen. amen. It is. It is in you. It is in me. The hope of glory that Christ is in me. Every power, every resource that I need is right within me. But the question is, how much do we use the resource? Do we just turn it on once in a while and then turn it back off again? That's enough intimacy. Right? I can't handle any more intimacy. Why? Because you cannot have intimacy out of woundedness. I've learned that in my marriage every day. My woundedness keeps me from having real intimacy with my wife. And if I want to have more intimacy with my wife, if I choose it, it's always going to start with me. Because you can't love unconditionally in your woundedness. What does woundedness produce? It produces eros. That's called, for me, it's wounded love. Wounded love. Do something for me. Scratch my back. Help me out. Affirm me here. I need you to do this. But when you have God touch your life and heal you from the inside, agape can flow out and intimacy can increase. That's the only way. That's it. That's the only way. It's the exchanged life. Don't be like the frugal lady who has everything she needs for all the power, but only uses such a small bit of the power, the character of God in your life. We're at the inlet of transition in our ministry, in our church, in our personal lives. Can I exhort you? Can I exhort you to jump in that river? Can I exhort you to face your woundedness, understanding that God will love you through it, he'll accept you through it? Would you put down the walls and the barriers? Would you put down the excuses? Would you allow God to come and do a mighty work in your life in 2006? I believe it's the only hope for our personal lives. It's the only hope for our church. Because as the healing of God comes into a person's life, you know what you can give out? Healing. And they, they always tell pastors, don't use yourself as an example, and I'm going to break that law right now, and I do it, hopefully you understand, is that the Lord has, has shown to me the good fruit that happens when he heals down deep. When you let him come way down deep to that root or the trunk or wherever that dysfunction that hurts at, and you let him heal that, all of a sudden you see this yucky fruit. The power of it is not intriguing anymore. You know, Pastor Rick, that the day after we talked, the power of that wasn't there anymore. It wasn't there anymore. The love of God diffused the conflict within me. And it was funny because I was like, this is so easy. It's, it's such a, it, when you get into that dysfunction, you get into these, type, these strongholds of the mind. It's like it comes so naturally, doesn't it? You don't have to think about that dysfunction. It just comes naturally. It's just, it's just like natural. And all of a sudden, it, it's not there anymore. You're like, what's going on here? Something's got to be wrong here. And it's like you're almost like giving it an opportunity. Come on, come on, come on. No, no, no. It's like it's not there. It's just not, where is it at? Where, where's the power that led me to keep doing this stuff that was nonsense and yucky fruit? Why isn't it there anymore? It should be there. I've had it for all these years. You're like, what's going on here? And you keep testing it. Come on now. It's in there somewhere. And I kept saying to myself, it's got to be there. Okay, I'll give it another couple days. It's got to be there somewhere. 
But when God touched me, he set me free from that. And I know you're not supposed to use yourself as an example, but I got to use myself because it's my testimony. I think it's man that says you can't use your own testimony. God says, well, we speak about it as the blood of the lamb and the word of what? Your testimony. I'm just trying to speak out of my testimony is that I kept testing it. After he healed, after he set me free from that, it's like two weeks. I was like, There's, no, it's got to be there. It's got to be there. It's been there for so many. It's got to be there. I'll just give it a little more time. It'll manifest itself. And it didn't. And it hasn't. I'm like, God, that only can be you. I didn't do anything except said, I surrender. I surrender. He showed me who I was. He showed my closet. I invited him in. And he came in and dined with me. And I with him. And he set me free from that. And that's just the first fruits. There's so much more. You know, when Paul says that I'm the chief of all sinners, how can he say that? Because when you get on that path of inner healing, precept leads to precept. You don't even see some of the areas that God needs to touch you with until he deals with this area first. But he's so faithful. He knows the exact thing that he needs to reveal to you at the right time. He's so faithful. He's so gentle and he's so kind. If he would have exposed every one of my dysfunctions at the same time, I don't know where I'd be today. But he knows who I am. He created me. I just watched a video, and I'll close with this. I'm going longer than I thought I was going to go, but i got to share this testimony because it was a children's video, and God was just reading my mail through it. And if God can speak to me through a children's video, God is doing something. You know? But it was made by Max Lucado, and I can't remember all the intricacies. It's only like a half an hour long. And the whole setting is, is it's this, this little village. And these, uh, these, um, there's these wooden people. Has anyone ever seen this? Someone help me out. You seen it? What do they call those? Uh, I can't remember what they call the people, but. Yeah, I can't remember what they call it. But anyway, it's like, they got the name for the village. And this whole village is filled with these, with these wooden sculptures that were created. They were created, okay? Created. They were created. And they're, 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 there's, there's wooden people. And they know that they were created by this person named Eli. And Eli lives on the other side of the mountain. But most of the people in this little village, they're afraid. They don't, they don't want to have any relationship with Eli. They know that he created them, but they don't want any relationship with him. And so they're going about their business. And what happens is in this little community, when you do something good and something praiseworthy, they go up to you and they put a star on you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Brother George. Oh, I saw what you did the other day. I saw you down there feeding the poor. Oh, I'm going to put a star right in there. But you know what? If you come down here and you, you're coming down the altar, you know, you know, when Vic was coming down, if he would have fallen down there as he was coming to the offering, oh, fall down there and money spill. Oh, Vic. I got to put a gray dot right on your head. And so all these people of the village, these little wooden sculptures, these little wooden people that were carved by Eli, they don't want any relationship with Eli, they're all, they're, all of them have some amount of stars and some amount of dots. And the ones that are really stupendous, they got lots of stars and only a couple dots. And the ones that are horrible, like Punchinello, poor little Punchinello has no stars, but he's filled with gray dots. And he's trying, he's striving so hard, he wants one star. And all through this 30-minute video, he's trying to find a way, and people are even trying to help him, the ones that do like him, most of them despise him. They want to help him, try to get one, at least one star. And every time he tries, they even try to get him, if you can, if you can skip this rock and make it skip on the water, we'll give you a star, Punchinello. And he tries, and he's like knocking everyone down. He can't do nothing right. And so in the midst of him trying to get stars, you know what he gets? More dots. 
You know, when we try to strive to please God and ourselves, what do we do? We fall over ourselves. We can't do it. More dots, more condemnation, more hurt, more pain, more reinforcing the pain in my youth. More, more, more. Oh, this man, who's going to save him? So this whole video goes to this thing. And at the end, they say, and now we're going to have the ceremony for the person who has the most stars. And we're going to acknowledge also that it's functional, whatever they call them, that has the most dots. And right in the middle of this, he meets, Punchinello meets one of his friends. You know what's something peculiar about her? She has no dots and she has no stars. And he looks at her and he's like, how is that possible? How can you have no stars or no dots? And he says, go to Eli's house. And he, he grappled that. He's like, no, I can't go to Eli's house. And their fear and trepidation, what? Why? Because somehow in, his, in, his, in their lives, they had this dysfunctional person of who Eli was. The same as you and me. This dysfunction, we think that the father is going to hurt us. The father is going to treat us like our father or our mother, whoever else hurt us. We think we project that onto him. So no, I can't go to Eli. I can't go to the father God. And finally, he sees, he's just, he's just he can't believe that this person could have no stars or no dots. How can that be? And finally, he comes to the end of himself, essentially, and he goes with fear and trepidation to the house of Eli. And he is fearful. He's afraid. He doesn't know what's in there. He's heard rumors that this guy will cut you up, and he'll, he'll chop you up, and, and he'll do all sorts of horrible things. To be. He's, but he's so enraptured by the fact that this person could be in the presence of Eli and have no stars and no dots. He doesn't understand it. So he goes, and he finally presents himself to Eli. And Eli just looks at him and says, I've been waiting for you. I love you for who you are, Punchinello. You don't have to strive to be good. Just come to me every day. I've created you and I love you. Would you make a commitment to come to me every day? And essentially he was saying, I'll heal your wounds and your pains and your rejection. I'll do it all for you. And it was so beautiful, and I was almost in tears at the end because right in the midst of that, it switches back to this great ceremony where they're honoring the one with the most stars, and he's all prestigious, and everyone's applauding. And then he says, and the one who has the most dots, we want to say the most dysfunctional among us is Punchinello. And everyone's looking around, Punchinello, where, Punchinello, where is that dysfunctional Punchinello? And Punchinello's not there at the ceremony, and it just shows Punchinello walking away from Eli's house skipping, and the dots are flying off. See, he couldn't take the dots off himself, and he couldn't attain the stars himself. But when he is in the presence of Eli, when he is in the presence of Father God, he just skipped away, and the dots were just flying off of him. And I tell you what, that's exactly what God's doing in my life. That's what he's doing in a lot of lives out here. Is he's, he's, you have an engagement with the character of God. That's the power of God. And he's setting you free. And the dots and the wounds and the pains of life are starting to come off. And that is beautiful and that is wonderful. And that is true in mere Christianity. Would you make a commitment to come into Father's house every day? Because that's the only thing that can take the wounds and the pains and the dots of your life. That's the only thing that can take the dots and the strongholds of your mind off. But I tell you what, the only thing that can set you free is an engagement with Jesus Christ. Intimacy with the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. And I tell you what, you, like Punchinello, will be a Christian that touches the power of Jesus Christ and the dots will come off of your life. Amen? That is power. True power. 
And so today has its point of transition, the inlet of transition. I'm excited about 2006 because I've seen what he's doing at the end of 2005. Is he's revealing yourself to come to the end of yourself till you'll finally have the courage to go to Eli's house. Finally come to the end where you have so many dots and so many hurts and so many pains and you cannot strive to get any stars for yourself. And whenever you try to get stars, you find yourself getting more dots. Jesus is saying, will you come daily to my house and I will set you free? Would you let him do that in 2006? That's what he wants to do. That's the power of the love of God. We're at a point of transition. Amen? Let us respond as a church to the love of God. There's nothing more powerful than his love. There's nothing that can clean the fruit of your life and heal the leaves of your tree than an engagement with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Just say yes, and he will heal you and set you free. Amen. That was good. What we want to do is we don't want to put dots on each other. Amen? Is that amen? Amen. I don't want to put dots on anybody. You know, these courses were meant to judge yourself, not each other. If you want to judge each other and put dots, you're going to dots, you're going to blow this church wide open. That's not what this course was. That's not love. That's not unconditional love. That's hurts and pains that turn to bitterness. If you want to put dots on people, you miss the whole point of these last couple courses. I'm not sure what love you're talking about, but it's not in the Bible. I want to read just a couple comments from Jack Frost. I've been really studying this recently, and I've been reading Theophostic and studying it word for word as I'm taking, would take a test. Both of them, if you want healing, you focus on yourself. You don't focus on anyone else. That's God's place. That's the Holy Spirit. If you want healing, you focus on yourself. When you get together to pray, if you pray with a prayer partner, you judge each other, but don't judge anybody else. Or it's no longer prayer, it's gossip. It leads to rebellion, and you've got a church problem. When two people get together to pray, let them judge one another. Confess one another. Don't judge anybody else. Amen? Is that scriptural? I can go all through the scripture on this. And I can show you the ramifications when you start judging somebody outside of your little prayer group. And there's always trouble. Always. A tail bearer breeds disunity and rebellion in the house. Apostolically, I unite churches and pastors and I'm very strong on the word. And when you manipulate the word, then I get involved heavily when there's trouble in the house. These courses were for you to judge yourself. Do not find fault one with another. Do not get together two pastors and pray and then pray for another pastor or pray for your senior. This is nothing but sin. Are we together? Pray for one another. That's what you gathered for. When people come and want to talk about somebody, they're in front of that other person right now. I don't want to curse on me. You want to come and talk to me? You're in front of that other person. Some of you have. You know what I'm talking about. But we need to hold that standard. Nobody should talk about nobody in this house. 
the most common causes of wounding by Jack Frost, we are not trying to find fault or place blame, but rather we are looking at the cause and effect. We are not held accountable for the wounding that others have done to us. I hope we're hearing this because this is a critical thing. If we want, do we want love? Amen? Do we really want victory? It's time, like Pastor said, let's take a deep look at ourselves. Forget your neighbor. Your neighbor's not the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Can we respond with love or do we put dots in one another? Are we rabbis? Jesus cautioned before you think you're such a teacher, you hurt somebody you're trying to help or hurt the house you're trying to heal. We are held responsible and accountable for the way we have responded to wounding. God's not so interested in the crime as how you respond to the hurt. Can you offer agape love? Can you forgive or do you attack and destroy? We're looking at love. I think we're going to carry this on for about eight or nine weeks, different pastors. It's time to go deep. Can you say amen? It's time to go real deep, real deep. Let's go real deep. He wrote, forgiveness is not based on the merit and character of the one who is being forgiven. Forgiveness is based upon the character of the one that is willing to give it away. Did you catch that? On the character of the one that is willing to give it away. You know, that's why we love Jesus. He is willing to forgive whether we're worthy or not. But we put dots on one another. Jesus is the one who forgives through us. His character is sufficient to work forgiveness in our hearts if we are willing. Forgiveness is usually a process like healing. We may have to choose to forgive a person every day for years until the pain goes away. We know forgiveness is complete when we think of the person or see him and the pain has been replaced with gratitude for what God has done. God is doing a work in us, a revelation. He wants that experiential experience, that relationship. It's a constant mind renewal. A revelation takes place. It's a work of beauty and progress of the Holy Spirit. And that agape love allows that to happen without putting dots on one another. He says, lay the wound, the person, the anger, and the pain at the foot of the cross and let it go. And we'll close with this for today. But we're going to go into this very deep because I'm really now have such a strong burden for unconditional love that we really understand it. We're going to go deep in this subject. Supernatural things occur when people come together in love. We, Ty talked about power. Power. You can't fabricate power either. The anointing flows through you and there's a process of anointing. It's not just a gift like some might say. There's a process for anointing. It goes through the character development, the unconditional love. How deep do you really have it? And the anointing gets deeper. There's a process. They've talked about it in so many courses we've just had. They talked about it in the course we had on developing leaders under construction, anointing. I read right out of the book on the process of the millstone and the pressure to bring the oil and the purification, which increases now the anointing as God's love flows through you. But supernatural things occur when people come together in love with one heart and one purpose. One heart, one purpose. I'm not interested in people putting dots on each other. I despise it. 
that surely will bring separation among the brethren. Don't ever listen to somebody who wants to talk at all about anybody here. That already, they've broken a violation of Scripture in judging one another. Tell them to stop it or walk away. Break fellowship, but do not listen. For the wounds go in you, the poison, Scripture says. I don't want this church talking about each other. Talk about yourself. Confess your own sins. Judge yourself lest you be judged. He who sows discord among the brethren is cursed, the Scripture says, and surely you show who you are. If you want to come, come and help me. Don't put dots on my people. Don't put them on me. I need the unconditional love of God. I need people like Jack Frost says, Pastor Jimmy, put his arm around me and say, hey, Pastor Frost, you're, 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 you're getting too task-oriented. I need that, but I don't need dots. I don't need a judge. I've got a judge. Are we together? I'm telling you, we've just started a process. It's far from over, guys. We're going deep into unconditional love because I'm tired of the nonsense that the devil does through people that don't understand the love of God and try to judge you with a part of it. Listen, there is no healing or wholeness outside of having close and intimate personal relationship. If you say you love somebody and you can't work with them, you don't love them and quit lying because it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's just pure nonsense. Father God told you nothing. You don't understand scripture. You're under a spirit of deceivableness. You believe a lie. There is no healing or wholeness outside of having a close and intimate personal relationships. None. As long as we fear being hurt again, we have walls of self-protection between us and people. Thus, we are not healed. It hurts to live because everybody's rejected every day. It hurts the more you love. It hurts the more you're in ministry. You got to constantly forgive. Constantly. It hurts being a parent. You got to constantly forgive. But don't put dots on them. Don't threaten them. Don't mark them. Don't desert them. Don't reject them. In the name of love. Or in the name of God. Thus we are not healed. As we love and encourage one another, God's love flows through us and helps to fill the deficit of love in our hearts. I want this church to be a church of unconditional love. No dots, none. Judge yourself and that's it. If you want to say anything about somebody else, you go and you alone. Don't pray about it with anyone else. That's sin. That's gossip. You get together to pray together, then pray over both of you to see each other's sin and not another person in this church. Is that fair? Is it fair? It's very scriptural, and if I have to, we will go through point by point. But I don't want anyone putting dots on anybody. You will not see 
God putting dots. And I want no pastor putting dots on anybody. I don't want any person putting them on each other. Don't get together in some super religious service and pray for somebody else. Just pray for yourself. If you want to pray for them, then go to them and them alone and pray with them. Other than that, don't be fooled by your own pride and woundedness and use religious terms or the spirit. Spirit didn't tell you nothing. Your human spirit, because the scripture is so clear, the procedure, the protocol. It's so clear, people. I'm not going to let people hurt one another. I'm not going to let this church be hurt. That's what apostolic ministry is all about, to bring the word clear and to deal with constant violation of it. And we'll do it. I can't wait for 2006. There's good people on the way. This church is going to be built. And I pray with every single person here and others that should be here. But I'll tell you, it's going to be built. And if we're not willing to get into that unconditional love and judge ourselves and not somebody else, then God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, God help you. Because you're only hurting yourself. Judge yourself. That's love. Don't ever get together, eat a meal with somebody. If they want to start talking about anybody or your church, get up and walk out of your meal. That's sin. And you're looking at a person with a bitterness and a hurt that's probably in violation of even the brethren. Finally, let's get it right. Let's get this church built. Let's get it built on the scriptures, which is unconditional love. Let's get it built on Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Amen? I can't wait for 2006. I am more filled with determination from the love of God than ever before. It's going to be a great year. I'm excited for the people coming. I'm excited for the people here. I'm excited for what God is going to do. I am excited for the promises he's made. I'm excited for the vision. I'm just plain excited. What was that word you used, Pastor Ty? Terribly? Horribly terrible? Terrible, horrible? Terribly, terribly? Horribly, horribly what? Ter- horribly terrific. I better write that down. Write that down. Horribly terrific. Isn't it horribly terrific? <clears throat> that was a great class, a great course, great. As you can see, people have been preaching off it for the last two weeks. But I'm judging myself. I'm not judging you. Taking care of my own hurts and pains, my own weaknesses, my own lack of spiritual understanding of the depths of love. It's a time to take care of ourselves. Then come together in the true meaning of love. And if you do see something of somebody, like he said, you come with a gentle, contrite spirit of reconciliation, of healing. Don't come if you got bitterness and you, and you want to, I don't know what you want to do, beat them over a head and get them discouraged. Maybe expose them, maybe embarrass them, maybe shame them. Maybe expose them to others through your talk. What are you, what kind of love are we talking about here? 
We're going to go through the scriptures. You're going to know them by their fruit. So you know when somebody really has a problem or if they're operating in real love. A church that knows the word cannot be hurt when people move into a wounded heart and sin. Instead, you can put your arm around that person and say, do you realize you got a problem? Let's pray. Let's ask God to forgive us right now. Dr. Cottle's coming in 2006 and others. I'm telling you, this church is going to be built. 2006 is going to be a great year. I can't wait for the people that are coming together it's going to be a lot of fun now here is my friend Scott Farah and he's going to help you with your business Scott Jesus teaches us that we should never do anything without making a plan first most small business owners fail to follow this biblical principle and do not have a written plan for where they want to be in one year, three years, five years. Yet every large business has a written plan. Many who wish to start their own businesses do not develop a plan first. This is one of the major reasons that 80% of all small businesses fail within the first five years. God worked through me to develop a unique educational program for business people. Quite frankly, this program has changed people's lives. If you currently own a business, or if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, you need the Independence Program. Visit our website, independenceprogram.training, and if you choose to purchase this unique educational program, make sure that you use promo code WMI. It will give you a 5% discount. So if what you have just heard resonates with you, and if you care, and you want to be an unsung hero, I implore you, please take a few seconds to call us today and leave a message with a short prayer for us because we need to know that you are with us and care enough to be part of the spark with us so that together we can move God to send a great awakening that can reverse the inevitability of God's coming judgment according to what God spoke in Jeremiah 18, 7, and 8. We believe that if you joined hands with us, together we can save America from certain catastrophic judgment. So call now, okay? Dial 360-629-5248 and say a short prayer for us in your message and leave your phone number too, okay? So one more time, 360-629-5248. Thank you and God bless.